0: Hi everyone, my name is Wes Hodgson and I serve as one of the pastors here at Ebenezer Baptist Church and it's a blessing to be with you here as part of the Ebenezer Youth. Many months ago, Pastor Will asked me if I would be willing to share during the Questioning Christianity series and specifically on this question, if God is good, then why does He allow evil and suffering? This is a question that many people have asked and wrestled with for generations. And so I'm glad you guys are looking at it here at Ebenezer Youth, and I'm very honored to be able to teach on it today. When I was 14 years old, right around this time of year in May, two girls who were friends and neighbors of mine were driving from their house on their way to school. Their names were Jennifer and Angela Waite. They were driving sometime between 7.30 and 8 a.m. because it was Tuesday morning and they had a karate lesson at the school that morning before classes begun. As they were heading east towards the school, a semi-truck was coming from the north, heading south, and wasn't paying attention to the road. He flew through the intersection, didn't stop, and these girls were killed instantly. Jennifer was two years older than me, And Angela was in my class. We sat next to each other on the school bus pretty much every day for years. And our families went snowmobiling together. But when they were right around your guys' age, they started attending a youth group. And it was in that youth group that they came to know and trust in Jesus for themselves. They didn't grow up in a Christian home, but they actually helped lead their parents to know Jesus. And though they didn't get to live a long, healthy life, their decision to follow Jesus and help other people follow Jesus was clear and evident. So here's why I'm bringing up this story. Why would God, a God who loves us, a God who is powerful, a God who helped these girls come to know Him as teenagers, not coming from a Christian home Why would a God like this allow these girls to be killed in a senseless car accident? This question and countless situations like this have been asked by every generation of believers since the beginning of time itself. If God is really loving and all-powerful, why wouldn't He stop things like this from happening? Why does He allow evil, injustice, oppression, and suffering If God is really like this, then why doesn't He do something about it? And this is the question I want to explore and share with you guys today as we dig into God's Word. So if you have your Bible with you, turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 read this. In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. The Bible describes God as a being who has existed before the world began. That's really hard to wrap our minds around, but God is eternal. That means He's always existed and He will never stop existing. He was there before time started and He will be there when time comes to a close. And the Bible describes God as so powerful that all He has to do is speak and things come into existence. That is who God is. He says things and they happen. And throughout the first chapter of Genesis, God speaks things and they come to be. The stars in the sky, the moon, the sun, separating the land from the water, all kinds of creatures and animals. Anything and everything we can think of, God just speaks. And now these things have their being because all of life flows from God. And at the end of chapter 1, as God is continuing to create things, it says this about people in Genesis 1.27. So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. This passage tells us that God made us in His own image and likeness. That means that you as a human being, you are of infinite worth to God. As human beings, we are the only creatures in all of God's creation that are made in His image and likeness. And that means we are of incredible importance and value to God. But because we are made in God's image and God has the ability to choose what he will and won't do, we also are made by God with the ability to make choices. You and I have a will. That means we have the ability to use our minds, our hearts, and our bodies to do things in this world. Everything from play a sport, to play an instrument, to work on our homework, or to not work on our homework, or to come to a youth group on a Tuesday or a Wednesday night. We have the capacity to make choices, and that is a God-given thing. At the end of Genesis 1 in verse 31, we read this, God saw all that he had made and it was very good. Everything God made started off very good. That means that you and I as human beings, we are made very good. But something, unfortunately, was about to go horribly wrong. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3, starting at verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. We are now introduced to the bad guy of our story. Everything God has made in this world is good. It's blessed. Everything was wonderful. And then this guy shows up. The Bible goes on later to describe the serpent here as Satan, or the devil, or the accuser. Satan is the spiritual force of evil present in the world today, seeking to corrupt and destroy all that God has made and intended for good. Now, this is actually really important for us to understand. When we ask a big question, like what we're asking about evil and suffering today, the Bible is actually really clear that there is a spirit of evil and suffering that is present in the world today, coming from the devil, the enemy. There is a real enemy who opposes God, opposes human beings, and hates all that is good in the world. And while there are many ways that the devil works and does his worst in the world, what do you think is the number one way the devil seeks to destroy all that God intends for good? What do you think is the number one way he does that? Lies. Lies are the primary way he does this. Lies are the main way that the devil does his work in the world. When Jesus talked about the devil, this was one of the things he described him like. John 8 verse 44. You belong to your father, the devil. And you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native tongue, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Did you catch that? What does Jesus say about the devil? When he lies, he speaks his native tongue. That's the devil's first language, telling us lies. He is the father of lies, meaning that lies originate from him. That's where they come from. So this is important for us to remember. When we think about all the pain and evil and suffering that takes place in this world, we need to realize that there is a real spirit of evil at work trying to corrupt and destroy all that God has made and all that God intends for good. But our story in Genesis continues on from there. This serpent, who we know to be the devil, speaks to Eve, the first woman, and says this to her. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? Okay, now, quick side note, in Genesis 2, After God makes Adam and Eve, he gives them really clear instructions about not eating one specific tree in the middle of the garden. Every other tree, totally cool to eat. Just don't eat that one, basically is what God says. And now the devil comes and twists it. This is how the devil lies to us. He takes something that's true on the surface and twists it just a bit. But the story goes on. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat from fruit from the trees of the garden, but God did say, You must not eat from the, fruit that is in the, middle, the tree that's in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it or you will die. You will not certainly die, the serpent said to the woman, for God knows when you eat from it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. This story is known as the first temptation or the fall of humanity. Satan comes and twists what God had said to the first humans and tempts them to believe something that isn't true. The tree that God told them not to eat from was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what taking food from that tree would mean was that they were essentially saying to God, hey God. I know you made the universe and stuff, but I'm smarter than you. I know better than you, and I really can't trust you. So I'm just going to do what I want to do. And how do you think that that goes? Do you know what happens next? Does Adam and Eve eat the fruit, or do they not eat the fruit? They eat the fruit. (laughs) They do the one thing that God commands them not to do. And this unfortunately begins a cycle in the storyline of the Bible where people are always disobeying God. All throughout the storyline of the Old Testament, God is asking people, Will you trust me? Will you follow me? Will you listen to me? And time and time again, people fail. They fall short. They disobey. They refuse to trust God. And this leads to all kinds of suffering and pain and injustice. Adam and Eve made a choice. They chose to trust themselves rather than trust God. But this isn't just a story about Adam and Eve. This is a story about all of us. All of us make choices every day. Choices to help one another or to harm each other. Choices to be a blessing and an encouragement to our families, our friends, our classmates, or choices that discourage others, choices that cause pain and suffering. We make choices to trust and honor God, or choices to trust and honor ourselves above God. Now you might be asking yourself, why did God do that? Why did God give them the ability to choose? If He he knew that we were going to screw this up so badly... Why didn't he just make us perfect little obedient puppets? Then none of these bad things would have happened. And the answer is this. God desires relationship with us. And you can't have a real relationship with someone who has no choice. Here with me, I I have my phone. I use this every day. I call people. I text people. I look up videos. I check the the scores on the sports teams, I do my banking, whatever. I use this every day. Now, because I use this every day, would you say that I have a relationship with my phone? Well, you could argue that, but I would actually say, no, I don't have a relationship with my phone because my phone is not a living being. The phone is just a device that I use. I don't have a relationship with it like I have with my wife or my kids or like you have with your family or your friends or even a pet because your phone is not a living, breathing thing. It's a device. You and I are not God's devices. We are His children. He wants to have a real relationship with us. But the only way that God can have a real relationship with us is to make us as people with the ability to choose, to decide whether or not we're going to trust and follow Him. That's the kind of relationship He wants with us. But God isn't committed to this idea of a relationship with us just in theory. He is so committed to pursuing us and wanting to be with us in our lives, that He stepped down into our world in the person of Jesus Christ. He took on our humanity. He became like one of us. He is so committed to this relationship with us that He is willing to do whatever it takes to show us that He loves us. Romans 5 verse 8 says it this way, but God demonstrates His own love for us in this, While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Even though God knew, if I create people and give them the ability to choose, they might not choose to trust me. They might not choose to follow me. In fact, they might choose evil and bring all kinds of pain and suffering into my good world. But God loves us so much that He was willing to enter into our pain. God is not indifferent to our suffering. God is not distant to the pain that we feel. God is not off floating on a cloud somewhere around Neptune while we're down here in this mess. God is right here. He is always here. And the life and death and resurrection of Jesus shows us that God is actually willing to suffer with us. Why does God allow evil and suffering? Why did my friends Jennifer and Angela die that morning when I was 14? Why was there a huge earthquake in Turkey a few months ago that killed so many people? Why is there a war going on in Ukraine right now? Why why is there a famine in Sudan and Yemen? And in the truth, so many of these things, we just don't know. We don't know the exact reason for these things. Life is complicated and messy, and we don't often get to understand the why behind everything. But here are three things that we can know for sure. Number one, there is a devil, an evil spirit at work in the world who opposes God and everything that is good. Two, We have a will. We have the ability to make choices that carry real consequences. Some of them are good, others are bad. But lastly, and most importantly, three, we serve a God in Jesus Christ who loves us, who wants to have a real relationship with us, and who willingly entered into our suffering on our behalf so that we could be reunited with Him. We may not understand why on this side of eternity about everything, but we can trust in the God who works everything together for good. Thanks for allowing me the opportunity to share with you today. Know that you are loved and cared for here at Ebenezer Youth, and I hope you guys have an amazing day.